0: Welcome. I'm uh, Pastor Kenny. I get to be the B Campus Pastor, and it is a joy to serve with you today to worship the Lord together. Um, You notice the Acts of Friendship uh, ministry. That has been one of those ministries that is heavy on the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, we believe that there are opportunities for us to serve, and as we serve, we're able to share the gospel. As we share the gospel, lives are given over to the Lord. As lives are given over to the Lord, we better glorify God, and it's a a beautiful thing. And so if you haven't served with Acts of Friendship, we want to encourage you to. If you know somebody who would be served by Acts of Friendship, we want to encourage you to have them fill out our our, uh, online application for that, and we would love to see how we can help. Pastor Jason has taken that ministry over in this last year and has just done a great job. Well, we are continuing our series on the Roman road, Romans road, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 16, concluding the series. We recently got new church Bibles. I I know we're all super excited about it. Uh, It's fantastic and it's readable. You know, it's not like the size negative three font. It's, It's actually readable. So we're excited about that as well. You are going to need the Bible today, so if you need one, if you didn't bring one, or you just don't have access to one, if you raise your hand, uh, one of our team members will come and get you a scripture. If you don't have one in your home, let this be a gift for you. We would love to give you access to the Word of God. We believe in it. If you say, well, no, I have it at home, I just forgot it today, that's fine. Return it at the end of the service. If you have a neighbor... Who wants one? That's great. Make sure that your neighbor gets one. We would just ask that you would deliver that to them and, uh, and let them know that this is, this is uh, God's word. So with that in mind, we're going to pray and then we're going to jump right into the scriptures together. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. We ask, oh Lord, that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up in the things that we do and in the things that we say. Lord, we recognize our incredible need for you. So uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Lord, as we move together through your word, we ask that you would help us to apply it to ourselves. Not to be thinking about a, a, a family member or a neighbor who needs this, but rather help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand to apply it to our own lives. For your good glory, we love you. We trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're like me. Maybe maybe your story is kind of like my story. There was a time where uh, I was I was stuck. I was kind of doing my own thing, and I liked doing my own thing. I didn't really care about other people because I was doing my own thing, and it really didn't matter. What I didn't realize is that uh, I was lost. I was blind. I was dead. I, I was stuck in the system, the system where uh, I encouraged, I, I hungered for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I, I looked and I longed for those things. But one day, I, I realized how useless that life was. Uh, one day, I just I found myself in the muck and the mire of, the, of life, and, and one day, I had eyes to see. And, and I saw this Savior, the Savior who was willing to come in the flesh, the Savior uh, who was willing to die on the cross for my sins, the Savior who loved me enough to extend life to me, who would replace me, who would take me out of the muck and the mire and bring me, draw me to him. Maybe your story is like mine. Maybe you'd like to join me today in going from being lost to in Christ being found, uh, Going, going from being blind but in Christ to see, going from being dead to sin to alive in Christ. Maybe you'd like to join me in that. Maybe that is your story as well. Maybe there was a time when you saw life just wasn't going anywhere, that the harder you tried, the, the more you realized you were just running in the mud. And maybe you saw the Savior. And so my story is your story. Your story is my story because it's interconnected because of Christ. And so help me flesh this out. Once you were lost, but now you are? Once you were blind, but in Christ you? Once you were were dead in sin, but in Christ you are? Alive. That's right, because your story connects with this story of Christ. And as we go through the Romans road, you're you're going to see this message come alive even more so. As we wrap this up, as as we consider what God has done and how Paul in the first 11 chapters told us a lot of the hows and the whys. Or rather, the, the whys and the whats. And in the final chapters, it's the hows. And so we were able to walk through and look at the very beginning going, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. That there is this power that is found in the gospel, that, that word power there is a word that we get the, word, the English word dynamite. So I want you to think about that for a second, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the the gospel, for it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The gospel. Well, what does that mean? It, it's an explosive type of power. If there's an obstacle, that the gospel uh, blows it up. Because once we were lost, but the gospel blew that up and we were found. Uh, once we were blind, but the, the gospel blew that up and, and we could see. Well, once we were dead in sin, but the gospel blew that up and we were found alive. Because the bad news is this, without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and there is no life. And the good news is that God came in the flesh. The good news is that God took my sin upon the cross and made a way. The, The good news is that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I called on the name of the Lord years and years ago, and some of you have too. And today, as we wrap up our time in uh, Romans chapter 16, we're going to ask three main questions. These three main questions are going to take us down a road together. I am going to ask you, nope, I'm going to beg you today to ask these questions of yourself. That you, that you would think of these questions personally and not just consider You know who needs to hear this today? (laughs) My spouse. You listening? Uh, My kids. You listening? Nope. That we would take these questions personally. Am I in the family? Am I in the family of God? We'll talk about that momentarily. Am I protecting the church? Now, I don't mean that we are the protector of the church. That's different. Am I protecting the church? More about that in a moment. Am I asking and expecting God to strengthen me? Because what is being asked is supernatural. What what is being required of the believer, the follower of God, is not something that we can do in the flesh. Like there are aspects that we can kind of pretend is is the spirit, but that's all we're doing is pretending. And and it's limited. But God wants to provide something for us. These are the questions that are going to lead us uh, as we walk together. The first question is this, am I in the family? Am I in the family? Well, the first uh, 24 verses in particular uses language that is familial. So what do I mean by that? It's family. They're, they're going to use language that is family. Here are the terms that, that's used throughout these, this passage. Sister, house, beloved, kinsman, family, mother, brothers, all familial terms, terms that we would use in relationship to family. Why does that matter? Well, in our culture, we kind of use it flippantly. My kids would say, oh, that's Uncle Brian. Oh, that's Uncle Cliff. That's Aunt Desta. They would use those terms. Not blood-related, they're just people who we're close with, and and so we use those terms that way. That's grandmama. Those are terms that they use, not blood-related, but terms that we use, and we're very comfortable with those phrases. But that's not, the, that's not the language of the New Testament. That's not how the New Testament was used. To be a part of a family meant something. Uh, very specific things. It was used to identify who you are. It, it, it was who you are as a person. It may even help you to identify your profession. It would certainly help you to identify your inheritance. To be a part of a family meant something. It was uh, who you were as a person the history behind it, who you are as a person, what you do in life, and who you will become, your inheritance, what you will have in life. Additionally, in the New Testament and in in ancient Judaism, to identify your family lineage was this uh, identifier of God's work in your family. So there was also some pride there that God had been at work within this family uh, lineage. And so to use familial language meant that you were a part of a story. Just as earlier, we talked about being a part of a story, being lost, and then in Christ being found, being, being blind, but in Christ seeing, being dead in sin, but in Christ being alive. Part of a story. And Paul uses that language very uniquely and very specifically of the group of people because there is pressure from the Roman Empire. There is also pressure within the community of believers. Specifically, the Jewish community has pulled away and is starting to say, you know what, you who would say Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah, you are not welcome to worship in our synagogue. You you can't do that anymore. And so for the first time, the church is finding its own place to worship, its own identity outside of the framework of Judaism. And Paul uses familial language to bring them together to say, you have a past You have a present. You have an inheritance. There is a place that you're going, and God has been interacting throughout all time and history and is connecting with you even today. Familial language is very important as Paul uses it in this first section. But here's my fear, and and it's a great fear. The fear is that, that people would become very familiar with church, Like, we could play church really well, and we could get familiar with it. And just assume, because I go to church, that I'm a Christian. It's like, well, you go into a garage, you're not a car. (laughs) You know, like, mm, uh, the the connection isn't always there. But we become so familiar with terms that we just assume some things. And what happens in those places is that there is no change in identity. There's just an acceptance of truth. Uh, that's called syncretism. The amalgamation of attempt uh, or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. We're just adding to what we already know. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous because that's what demons do. It, even the demons believe there's a God and shudder. But, there's, they're, but they're not believers, right? They're not followers of God. So, so what's the big difference? What keeps us from syncretism? What keeps us from just adding on? Repentance is the word. Repentance. Demons don't repent. They know, but they don't repent. And so I would ask us today, if we're thinking that we're part of this family of God that we once we're lost, but now we're found. We once we're blind, but now we see. We once we're dead in sin, but we're alive in Christ. If we're, if we're part of that family, then, then something should have taken place. And an identifier of a spiritual birth is repentance. And it's, it's, it's not the kind of, um, I got caught kind of repentance. Oh, I don't like the consequences of this. It's a different kind of repentance. If I had just one verse, I would take you to 2 Corinthians 7:10. Says this, "For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret." Godly grief looks like this. My sin put Jesus on the cross. My sin when I lied, when I stole, when I decided I needed security, significance, and satisfaction apart from God, that put Jesus on the cross. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. Godly grief is recognizing what I did. And repenting, turning away from it and turning to Jesus. But worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief is, I got caught for it. I'm going to be in trouble for it. Well, I guess it's better to act or do this thing than deal with the consequences of not. Uh, that's, a, that's a worldly grief, and it only produces death because it is always going to lead us to separation from God. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Now, you might say, well, I said a prayer when I first got saved, when, when I, repent, I repented of my sins, I, I did that. Can we just move on now? Well, actually, the church has always been considered the, the confessional people, the, the people who confess. They, they say what is true, what God already knows to be true. And so they, they state sin. Okay, I have been uh, found, but I'm living as if I'm lost. I'm repenting of that and turning to God. I can see, but I'm living like I'm blind. I'm repenting of that, and I'm turning to God. I, I, I have life, but I'm living as if I'm dead, and I'm repenting of that, and I'm turning to Christ. Uh, that is a regular practice of the believer. Uh, let's look at some more scripture. I'm, I'm just going to go through these pretty quick, so hang in there with me as you look at this idea of repentance and our need for it. Uh, Matthew three two, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew three eight, in Matthew one fifteen, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke thirteen five. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And in Acts seventeen thirty, the big Mars Hill passage, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It is not just unique for the nation of Israel, but all people everywhere have a responsibility to repent. Our eyes can be opened that we would turn from sin and turn to God. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Revelation 3.3, Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. He's speaking to the church, by the way. Uh, 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Repentance is a part of the faithful believer's walk. If we want to say, I am a part of the family of God, then there should have been Hey, repentance and a lifestyle of repentance. I, Lord, I've missed the mark again. I'm sorry. I'm repenting. I'm turning from that and I'm turning to you. Repentance is a part of that walk. Again, I, I want to look at it in relationship to syncretism. Syncretism is just hey, what does the world have? That's great. Oh, yeah, and there's a God. He's pretty great. That's wonderful. Uh, that is syncretism in theory. Like That's how it practically plays out in our culture. Repentance is required for the believer. So, are you part of the family of God? Great. There should have been an identifier somewhere that there was a spiritual birth. That spiritual birth it comes from that place of repentance that is godly and not worldly. Am I in the family is the first question. The second question is, am I protecting the church? Now, I want to be real clear on this. I don't mean that we are the protectors of the church. That's that's God's job. He does that, and he's really good at it. But am I protecting the church? There is an aspect of protection that is required of the believer. Listen closely as Paul wraps up uh, the book of Romans in chapter 16. I'm just going to read through verse 20. He says this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So he's saying this. Beware of people who are just causing divisions. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? Hey, did you know that? Hey, did you? We should try this instead. Like, those people who are just constantly dividing, they're looking for opportunities Uh, To divide, to be critical, to be mean-spirited even. Maybe to frame it as if it's love, but that's not what is being presented. Paul says, be careful. Watch them. He goes on to say, uh, they create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Now, let, let me be really clear. If someone came and they said, you know... I'm having an affair as a married person. I'm having an affair, and uh, that's fine. No big deal. We would have a responsibility to speak truth and say, actually, that's not fine. Uh, An affair is extra biblical. That's called sin. Uh, You need to repent of that. And We'd walk through some scriptures together. We would talk through it, assuming they let us. We're not saying avoid that. Those sorts of confrontations are necessary and good. What we are to avoid is this. Uh, Pause. Let me ask you a question. Don't look down, but what color are the carpets in here? There are some runners. Do you know what color it is? (laughs) Yeah, they're kind of black, kind of gray, blackish gray, depending on where you're standing and the lighting, I suppose, Um, but the reason I bring that up is because if, if we were going to argue about that, that would be useless. That would be creating some obstacles here that are unnecessary. You know what? I really want to pay for them, but they have to be blue. <laughs> Come on. Um, those are unnecessary. That's unnecessary division. That's contrary. Um, uh, that would be contrary to the doctrine that we've been taught. And you say, well, how is that? That sounds like an opinion. Well, well, here's why, because of John 17. John 17 verses 20 through 23 are foundational to the believer. Uh, Jesus came in the flesh. He is God among us. He Scripture says he tabernacled among us. He lived a perfect life, showing us what what. Uh, It looks like to live in the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit in humble obedience to the Father's will. Jesus modeled that. He showed it perfectly. And in doing so, he went to the cross. Before he goes to the cross, which is his mission, he pauses and he prays. Now, sometimes we think of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, right? And that is the Lord's Prayer. That's how he taught his disciples to pray, and he, he told them they should pray that way. But we also see Jesus praying in John 17. And this is his prayer. Listen to it carefully as we walk through it. Jesus is praying this beautiful moment where the son is in the presence of his father. And, and he's pleading out requests just before he goes to the cross. And he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's not just talking about his disciples, but those who who will trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior because of their word, i.e., you. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you will receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's praying for you. And he goes on, verse 21. That they, all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now it's easy for us to think, oh, that's what heaven will be like, and I hope that it is. But this prayer is not in anticipation of heaven; it's right now. That we would be in uh, in Christ so closely, walking with Him, that as others join in, we are united in that place. We are one. We are one. Uh, and then he goes on to say, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What a great evangelism method. Because here's, here's the deal. Uh, years ago, we had this thing. It was called attractional ministries. Attractional ministries were ways that we could uh, serve the community to bring people in to, say, outreach events. And then people would hear the gospel through these outreach events, and they, they were good. They were really good. But the best, his love. Because here's the deal. You come up with something, it could be anything, and I guarantee, I guarantee that the world can probably do as well or better. Uh, musicians, the world can match musicians in the church. Uh, speakers, the world can match speakers. Buildings, the world can match Buildings. What they can't match is the unique sort of love that believers have for one another because of their love for God. They they can't match that. They can't fake that. They can't walk in that place. This sort of evangelism is a divine evangelism given to us by the Lord. And by the way, I've searched the scriptures on this one and I can't find anywhere else where empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can answer Jesus' prayer. Uh, Have you ever thought of that? Like Jesus has a prayer request, and, and I can be a part of fulfilling it. He goes on in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That The word glory, if you want to replace the idea with, you could say value. The value that I have, um, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This familial relationship that we have one, with one another, it actually matters in some significant ways. Uh, it matters so much that Jesus just before going to the cross didn't pray, Lord, help them to have wonderful buildings that will, that will be amazing. Lord, help each of them to become wealthy and rich and successful. He doesn't pray that way. But what he does pray is that we would be one. And the reason he does is so that the world will know. That the world will know. Because when the world sees it, they go, that is something that we, we, can't, uh, we can't match. We can't emulate. We can't fake. This is a group of people that are not bound together by Uh, Blood lineage, this is a group of people that are not necessarily bound together because of uh, ethnicity or socioeconomic connections. That's not why they're together. They're connected because of God and Christ's work in them. And it changes lives. And if you don't believe me, I'll just do a practice right now. Has anyone heard, I don't care for church because there are a bunch of hypocrites there? Yeah Let me see some hands if I could. Yeah, that's nearly everybody in this room. So what would be the reciprocal of that? This: I want to go to church because look how they love each other. I don't understand that. That must be divine. That must be of God. Am I in the family? Am I protecting the church? Am I doing everything that I can to become one in Christ? Watching out for divisions. Watching out for uh, errant theology. And then three. Am I asking and expecting, uh, uh, make sure you see that conjunction there, and expecting God to strengthen me? Verses 25 through 27. Let me read those. Now to him who is able to strengthen strengthen you according to my gospel. I like that. Uh, why are we receiving that strength? Because of the vehicle that it comes from is from this gospel, that I, I am weak in and of myself, that uh, I am going to mess it up, I will be lost, I will be blind, I will be dead in and of myself, but... But mysteriously, this God has come in the flesh. He's made a way for me to to be found, to see, to have life. He he has made a way for me to live. And as I call on Him, He also strengthens me because this request, this challenge, this call, this pattern is something that we can't do in the flesh. It's something that can only come uh, by the power of the Spirit. And Paul goes on to talk about it. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation or the revealing, the unveiling of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What's the message there? The message is that in the prophetic writings of the scriptures, there has been this promise that we'll be united. There's this promise that there'll be salvation. There is this promise that eternally and completely we will be found. Eternally and completely we will see. Eternally and completely we will have life. And it's, it's found in the prophetic writings in the Old Testament and revealed in the person of Jesus the Christ, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah. When we see this Jesus at play, we recognize that we can't do this, we can't live in this sort of unity, we can't have this kind of life in and of ourselves. We need God to strengthen us. And by the way, we expect that because he says he will. And because that is true, friends, we can come together today and proclaim the realities of the scriptures, that it is not about our work, but it is about God's work. And so we trust in the Lord with all our heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment. To your bones. This trust that we're being called to is a trust in the Lord, and not in a trust of ourself, of our flesh, of our own abilities, but in God. Am I in the family? It's a question we all need to wrestle with and be honest about. If so, then there shouldn't be syncretism. Hey, whatever the world says, and God. But rather there should be a repentance. What the world has to offer is is lost, is lostness. What the world has to offer is blindness. What the world has to offer is death. And I'm repenting of that. I'm turning away from that and I'm turning to God to follow him. Am I protecting the church? Am I being cautious? Is there division? Am I being careful to make sure I'm not a part of that division? Am I correcting any schisms that are occurring, both from my own heart or those around me? And then thirdly, am I asking and expecting God to strengthen me? These are the three questions we wrestle with as we conclude our time. And remember, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Friends, this is my story, and perhaps it's your story. I'd like to read this passage together just one more time. We'll, we'll all do it together because it, it applies. And today, when you're in a place and you go, oh, man, this is, this is leading me to a life of lostness. This is leading me to a place of blindness. This is leading me to a place of death. I want you to remember this dynamite that has been given to us. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen and amen.